coronavirus has made the next few weeks and months nearly impossible to predict. And the uncertainty of it all is causing stocks to tumble and anxiety to peak. But what if there were a way to see into the future? The experience in China may actually offer a crystal ball. While U.S. cities are just now going on lockdown, China is starting to reopen its hardest-hit locations. Today on The Readback, Barron's Reshma Kapadia joins us to talk about what we can learn from China's experience. Hey, Reshma. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm doing okay, all things considered. What about yourself? It's all relative these days, isn't it? Yeah, those cold symptoms that I wouldn't think twice about in any other circumstance, I will admit are giving me a little bit of anxiety. I agree. I agree. It's a difficult allergy season in the context of things. So I wanted to talk to you about China. You've been doing some really interesting reporting and stories. What can we learn from China? It is very much an imperfect um, comparison, but there are some things that we can learn. So just to get some bit of a timeline and some context of what's going on, China is reporting that there's no new daily confirmed cases at this point in time. We can debate that statistic. But, you know, there's obviously been a decline and it's been about two months since China locked down the center of the outbreak, which was Wuhan. Right. And we're just beginning to see them talk about easing some of those restrictions. And so it was basically... 15 days from when they locked down Wuhan to the point that they saw a peak in number of new cases. And that number of new cases is something that investors are watching very carefully. And how far behind China would you say we are in the United States? Well, that's a good question. I mean, we do not have a lockdown like uh, Wuhan did. Um, and that was sort of two months ago, right? So they're, they're about two months um, ahead of us. But that doesn't mean that we sort of unfold in the same way for a whole slew of reasons. And I think a lot of people wonder, you know, well, obviously, China is an authoritarian um, government, there's no way the US can do something as draconian. And of course, that's true. Um, but you know, I've, I've talked to some folks who are, who are very good in terms of the Chinese economy, and, and, and they made some comparisons. And they said that while Wuhan was locked down, some of the restrictions that we saw in other places like Beijing and Shanghai and other parts in China are not that dissimilar to what we're seeing um, in California or in New York. And of course, those are measures that two weeks ago, we all would have thought were draconian. I mean, who can imagine um, shelter in place and in, in places like New York City. So personally, having reported on this, um, I mean, I, I have to admit, I'm constantly in the news. We're, we're certainly doing our most honest reporting possible. I am constantly looking for reasons personally for, for hope in, in what we write and what I read. How much hope do you take away from what you've been writing about and from the, the China experience? I mean, I think that there is a, a template for some sort of uh, mitigation of the spread of the outbreak. You know, China is, is obviously the big example out there. But if you look at what South Korea did or Singapore did or Taiwan did, you know, these these countries that were sort of much earlier on, they took different measures. There was a lot, a lot of widespread testing, some restrictions in, in movement, and they have gotten it under some control. So I'm not sure if I believe that there are no new daily confirmed cases out of China. Um, that's something that's definitely being debated. And it's hard to have transparency around that, especially considering that China didn't tell anyone about the virus for, you know, for several weeks. Um, right. But I think that there is there is a reason for hope. And there's also um, things to take away from what these countries are doing, both in terms of testing and how they are restricting movements, as well as what the governments there have done to sort of fill the void and, and the economic hit, which is considerable, obviously, in all of these places. So for all the differences around 
the disease itself, coronavirus itself. China's economy is is different than ours as well. How much does that limit our ability to take lessons from China? And where are there even where are there similarities? Yeah, so that's a good question. So, I mean, I, I I think that we do need to take into account sort of the differences in our economy. So one of the differences between China and the U.S. is that our economy is much more reliant on um, consumption and services than China's economy. But that has been a growing portion of China's economy. So it's not that it's not important. Meaning China has been looking more like our economy over over recent years. Yes, yes. I think it's a little bit more than half of its economy and more than two thirds of our economy. Is services. Right. And so, you know, what we're seeing, um, everyone's been looking to see when China's economy gets back up and running, obviously a major issue for supply chains and all the disruption we've seen. And right. so um, on that front, on the industrial front, we are beginning to see positive signs, right? Like the coal production's back up, you know, uh, the lights have been turned on to the factories. We're not at 100%, but, you know, we're getting there. So that we've seen improvement on that front. And is that hard data on the factories? Like, I know there's some questions about data from China, but does that actually come from sort of satellite images or do we know for a fact that the factories are back at operation? Right. So there are all these metrics that people track to kind of get a better sense of what's going on, right? Like coal production, for example, or pollution levels or traffic. And so those are sort of ancillary numbers, not hard economic data coming from China. And so those are moving in the right direction. And those we can kind of believe because we're actually seeing it from uh, third parties. Yes. Though I will sort of caution on the, you know, coal production and the lights being on. I mean, the lights may be on, but the workers for a while were not there producing anything because they didn't have the parts. So, I mean, yes, we're moving in the right direction is the way we should look at it. And you mentioned the supply chain. And it's interesting to think that two months ago, the big worry in the U.S. before the virus really arrived here was that our companies would be hit terribly because all the products they source from China would, would not be available. So that worry, the supply chain worry has solved itself um, to some degree, right? And now it's a question of, well, once the companies produce these goods and bring them back to the U.S., will there be anyone in the U.S. to buy them? Right. And so that is sort of the other concern for China's economic recovery, right? And so most of the people I spoke with still think that China's economy is coming, going to come out of this horrible slump that it's been in, but that the fact that the customers for their goods are not going to necessarily need them as the U.S. and Europe kind of face a deep recession of their own. They don't expect it to derail um, the economic recovery in part because China is less and less reliant on um, the export market and it is much more driven by the consumer market. And right. so th- this is um, this is another reason why we should be looking to see what's happening in the Chinese consumer market to kind of get a sense of how its economy is up and going. Okay. And what do we know about the Chinese consumption market right now? Right. So this is where we haven't seen as much of a recovery quite yet. You know, I think Starbucks and Apple have opened their doors, but not that many people are sort of going to going into these places quite yet. And it has yet to be seen what all of this does to consumer behavior and then what our expectations are. And so that's something we're going to have to remember on our side as well when we come out of this, because we are a much more sort of consumer led economy. Yeah, I would imagine, um, I mean, amazingly enough, we're headed towards earnings season in a few weeks in the U.S. from U.S. companies. And that's obviously a time when companies report numbers, but they're also asked questions by investors. I would imagine that companies like Starbucks and Apple that have lots of stores in China are going to be asked, I hope, are asked a lot of questions about what they're seeing there. I mean, that might be our next best um, 
set of data points. Yeah, I think that, and, that, and when we're looking for a guidebook, I mean, like, I think that, that we will learn lessons from that, right? Like, how does the Chinese consumer come back? Are they right. willing to go to Starbucks or willing to go to Yum China to, to get, you know, fast food or, or whatnot? And, and how does behavior change? And we'll begin to start seeing clues for that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing right now that uh, with Apple, every store in the world is essentially closed. Every Apple store in the world is closed, except for exactly. the ones in China now. Yeah, yeah, which right. just shows I mean, like they're kind of coming out while we're we're still in this. While stop. we're all going, yeah, in. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I love the hope. I love uh, thinking positively and finding some optimism here. But let's talk a little bit about why China isn't the perfect model for us. Right. So. Um, Again, authoritarian government, they are able to do things in ways that we cannot do, which we're seeing already, right? We are really having a fragmented patchwork approach to this virus where certain governors are locking down the states and others are not. Yeah. So that's very different than a nationwide ban. Federalism, right? Exactly. And I mean, not only that, but the the surveillance and the tracking, I mean, it was great because they can go track every person you had come into contact with and then test them and then isolate them, right? We don't really have that same level of surveillance, nor do we want that same level of surveillance. So there's also that. Right. And then the third thing is that the government has come out and very quickly given targeted fiscal measures. So one of the differences between China and the US is that Chinese um, officials have not cut rates significantly because lowered rates is not really going to help the people, the small and medium-sized enterprises that are sort of the heart of um, China's employment. And so they've taken these targeted steps like um, reducing social security payments or taxes, basically encouraging banks to give them some leeway on borrowing and loans um, just to make sure that sort of these companies continue paying their their workforces. And so we've seen a lot of companies do that. And we haven't, I mean, I think we're about to see major unemployment here um, in initial claims. And, and that will be sort of the first indication of how many small businesses here can't do it. So whereas it could take, you know, weeks, months, even after we get a fiscal package passed here for these fee- folks to get relief, it was a little bit more immediate there. So we're getting closer from what we hear in the United States to a real fiscal stimulus bill. Uh, hopefully it could come any day now. And the market is certainly counting on that. From what you're hearing, you've done some reporting on what that bill includes. How much do you think our government is taking lessons from what China has done in terms of our own stimulus? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how much. I mean, China was very targeted in its aid um, and really sort of focused on keeping people working and keeping the doors open and um, didn't really just throw a lot of money at the problem as it has in the past. It was sort of very targeted. And, and I mean, we may still see more of um, stimulus coming from China as it deals with very high unemployment and in a slew of other issues as it kind of evolves through this crisis. Um, you know, there's talk of an infrastructure spending bill. Um, the good thing, the good thing about infrastructure spending is it gets people working, especially people who are at the lower ends of um, the employment market, you know, uh, sort of hourly workers and things like that. Right. And I haven't heard any mention of infrastructure bill seriously um, at this point in time. In the U.S., you mean? In the U.S. I think everyone I've spoken to is has really stressed the importance of getting money into the hands of those small and medium enterprises and the people who work for them, especially sort of the hourly and gig workers who are kind of just thrown out um, with this situation. And and I guess the reality is that in China, everything is simpler, more direct, 
easier to get done. You don't quite have yeah. partisan bickering in China, do you? Yeah, no. I mean, I think that exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously, um, you know, there is stuff that's put out and then the local officials have to put it through. And, you know, there has been talk about how small and medium-sized enterprises um, in the past have not gotten the credit that they, you know, needed, even though the government has said, hey, banks lend to these small businesses, but they have much more force and ability to kind of get that through and through the bottlenecks that we obviously see here. Right. It's part, right. I mean, it's a different type of government, obviously. Now, that said, we have seen some democracies in Asia have pretty good success fighting back against the virus as well, right? Yes. I mean, so South Korea and Singapore and Taiwan, I mean, those are the three that everyone sort of point to. Singapore, obviously an island nation, but, you know, they, they, I think the one commonality between those two places is they tested widely. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they didn't really have this, these major lockdowns that we've seen. So for those people who are saying, Hey, we need to sort of ease the economic restrictions, then you need to have the testing and the supplies and all those other things to kind of deal with that other aspect. Got it. And so maybe that's something that, uh, if certain government officials really are serious about reopening the economy uh, in the coming weeks, that's going to have to be accompanied by some other real changes, whether, you know, notably more testing. Yes. Of course, there is one more unknown even in China, right? And that's that we don't know what the reinfection rate will be as the country reopens its economy. Yep, that's a key key metric that people are going to be looking at as as you know China kind of starts up again with its economy and people start going back to work and going back to you know maybe Starbucks, um, and and we're going to really sort of watch that because there's so many unknowns about the disease and there's so much um, uncertainty about asymptomatic folks um, and whether they're able to sort of spread it and if you know what the numbers are in China of people who have it but are not showing symptoms. So it sounds like if we're Looking at the glass half full, there is a lot of data and hope we can take from China. Basically, they got this thing contained in two months. Um, If you believe the numbers, they've gone from a peak more than a month ago to no new cases today. I mean, that is certainly hopeful in a massive country to have no new cases. The problem is that, A, we might not necessarily be able to believe the numbers, that they have a different form of government and we're able to really impose much stricter measures. And finally, that their economy just doesn't exactly match ours. So yes, Alex, I mean, I think that that's, that's right. I mean, and I think that, you know, if we look at this as a guidebook, we see that the first quarter numbers in China were horrific. You know, we had a sort of unprecedented numbers and people were amazed that the government even allowed them out or 13 and a half percent industrial production declines, you know, retail sales tumbling 21%. So I mean, if you kind of take this um, as guidebook, that kind of gives you an idea of maybe Q2 or Q3 here are going to be horrible, provided we move at the same sort of pace. Um, and and then it kind of gives you an idea of the market. The market did turn back up as the um, number of new confirmed cases, reported confirmed cases, um, began to decline. That was so amazing to me. I mean, I just would point out that in the U.S., as things were peaking in China, as the, as the cases were getting worse and worse, our markets were still at all-time highs, right? And then as things were getting better and better in China, our markets are at their lowest points in three years and um, have lost 35% of their value. 
Right. And China, for example, the Shanghai Composite Index is down 11% year to date. And that's after it made up its, you know, recouped its losses and then began falling again as the rest of the world sort of started to, to collapse. Okay. And and um, so it just kind of gives you an idea. I mean, I talked to one strategist at Eaton Vance who, who um, I think put it really nicely and talked about how we may be in the first inning from a social and economic perspective, but from a market perspective, we may be somewhere in the fifth to seventh inning. Yeah. If in the next couple of weeks, especially as New York kind of goes through this process first, we kind of see how it evolves and, you know, based on obviously different policy measures that we take, you know, that seems like um, it it could track. Um, I think it's also worth looking at what sectors in China have have done better than others. Yeah, for sure. Tell, Tell us. So, you know, fund managers have, have talked, are, are sort of looking for like, what, what does the world look like beyond um, the outbreak? And obviously, we're still in that process of sorting it out. But some of the sectors that did well were the internet companies that, um, you know, the Alibaba's, the Tencent's, as people are at home um, delivering, uh, getting goods delivered, live streaming, things that would make sense, I guess, if you thought about it. But okay. also, um, healthcare, for example, um, is doing well in China. That was a very sort of nascent industry. And obviously, there's going to be much more focus by the government in that industry. Some people expect a, a good deal of resources to be pumped into um, the healthcare industry um, and building that out. Right. Um, and then the third area is sort of software and automation as companies try to become more efficient and productive. And um, there's also an expectation that we see consolidation in these markets um, because obviously margins are going to be crimped. So if that's sort of, you know, that's kind of what people are thinking about on the ground in China, maybe that's what our money managers here when they look at the U.S. market should be thinking about. So internet, healthcare, software and automation, um, at least based on China's experience, all areas that should continue to do relatively well in the U.S. Yeah. Well, thanks, Reshma. That is helpful. Um, It's both hopeful and sobering, I would say. We'll talk to you soon and, and stay well. Thanks. You too. To read more of Reshma's reporting on China and what it could mean for coronavirus in the U.S., check out Barron's.com. We're also doing, of course, minute-by-minute reporting on the virus and what it means for investors and the rest of us in the economy. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoff. We'll be back next week.